Today's scripture reading is found in John 3:16 through 18. I'll be reading from the NIV here the word of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dave, for reading for us. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship. Let's pray together once more. Lord God, we thank you for this day to come together to worship, to sing songs of your praise, and to hear your word read. And and now, Lord, as we study your word, dig into your word, listen to your word together, I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding and insight, that you would open our ears and open our eyes and help us to see you very clearly today and and to see your plan of salvation what it means for us and i pray lord that you would guard my words help me to rightly accurately explain and communicate your truth for us today and i pray that it would be the power of your holy spirit the power of your living word that would accomplish the work in our hearts that we need that the faith building the drawing to faith that we need today And I thank you that you have given us your precious word, that the Bible is your revelation of yourself. We're not left without direction. We're not left without instructions. We're given the very word of God inspired by you to change our lives. And we look forward to that as we interact with you through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever thought about this? What if you could sit down with Jesus face-to-face, person-to-person, and just have a conversation with him? What would you say to Jesus? What questions would you ask him? And maybe more importantly, what would he say to you if you were sitting down person-to-person? Well, we have that very case in this passage today. In John chapter 3, in the the person of Nicodemus, we have this happen. He had a one-on-one, face-to-face conversation with Jesus. And this text in John 3 that we're going to look at this morning is probably the clearest, most personal presentation of the gospel that we have in the Bible. And it comes directly from the words of Jesus. This is Jesus telling us what salvation really is. This is the Christ telling us how to become a Christian, a Christ follower. This is the King telling us all about what it takes to enter His kingdom. So if there's any passage we should listen to in the Bible, this is it right here. These are the words of Jesus calling us to his kingdom. We're about halfway through a sermon series that we're doing this summer. For those of you visiting from the Timothy house or visiting Trinity today, we've we've called this series the Upside Down Kingdom because we're looking at the unusual, surprising statements of Jesus about his unexpected kingdom. And there were a lot of things that people didn't expect when Jesus started talking about his kingdom. Today, we're going to be talking about a kingdom for newborns because Jesus talks to this Pharisee and surprisingly, he says, my kingdom 
is for newborns. So please turn, if you have your Bibles, please to John chapter 3. If you have a phone, you can look it up there on your, if you have a Bible app. Or if not, we're going to put all the verses we're looking at on the screen today. So they'll be right up there for everybody to follow along as we go through this passage in John 3. So let me kind of set the scene for you here before we dive into the passage. This was Jesus' first trip to Jerusalem in his ministry. So we're still early in Jesus' ministry. He comes to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And we know at this point Jesus had already begun some of his teaching, already some of the miracles had been done, and so word was getting out. And as you probably know, later on the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish community were going to be opposing Jesus and attacking him and trying to arrest him. But that's not, they're not there yet. Right now they're just curious about him. And this comes out in a conversation with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. So we'll start in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Okay, pause for a minute there. Nicodemus, this guy, he was the cream of the Jewish crop. I mean, he was at the top level of their Jewish leaders. He was a teacher. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which was this group of 70 men who made all the important religious and civil decisions for the Jews. And Nicodemus comes to to interview Jesus, to find out a little bit more about who this guy is. And he comes at night, which is interesting. Why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Maybe he was a little bit afraid or embarrassed about his fellow Pharisees finding out he's going to see Jesus. Maybe that's why it was at night, to cover that up. Maybe he just wanted Jesus to himself. He wanted a private interview with Jesus. Maybe that's why he comes at night. But for whatever reason, we don't know for sure, he does come. But what we do know as well is that that Nicodemus did not fully understand. He couldn't see Jesus for who he was. And it wasn't just because it was dark and at night. He had some misunderstandings about Jesus. He he thought Jesus was a man of God. He says that. But certainly he didn't consider Jesus the son of God. He thought he was a godly teacher, but certainly didn't think that Jesus was God in the flesh. But at least he came to Jesus to find out more about him. And though he came under cover of night, at least he came. So this leads us to our first principle for today from this passage. Here it is. To enter God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, you must meet the king. And that's where it has to start. You've got to go meet the king, which is exactly what Nicodemus is doing here. And it's interesting. We don't even hear what Nicodemus was going to ask. My guess is he probably had a whole list of questions he wanted to ask Jesus, right? But he comes and he gives this kind of awkward introduction that we read in verses 1 and 2, and then Jesus interrupts him and begins right into the discussion without even waiting for a question because he already knew what Nicodemus needed. It didn't matter what his questions were. He knew what Nicodemus needed to hear. And I love this. This should be really comforting for us because Jesus knows exactly what you need when you need it. He's not waiting to see what questions you'll ask or to figure out you to tell him what you need. He knows already. And he wants to do his work in you. But you still have to come to him. You have to meet him. I brought a picture today. I put the picture up of, of a lady named Pat Adams. 
Pat Adams a few years ago, a sweet woman who was, just happened to be a big fan of George Clooney, the actor. And so much so that she had his picture on her bedside table and she would talk a lot about him. Big fan. And one thing that she had said to, I guess, many people around her in her assisted living community, she said, I've heard so much about him, I just really want to meet him. But she didn't figure, and others didn't figure that would ever happen, until one of the workers at her assisted living facility for her 87th birthday decided they would get her George Clooney. And they invited him to come. Sure enough, he showed up with a card for her, with flowers, a bouquet of flowers for her, and spent 15, 20 minutes talking to Pat Adams. It made her day. Maybe made her whole life. Here's the point. Don't be satisfied with just knowing about Jesus. You need to meet him. And what does that mean? What does it mean to truly meet the king? Well, it means listening to him speak to you right here. He's spoken through his word. He's spoken in the gospels. He's spoken about throughout this word. you got to get to know him. And then you can speak to him. God's given us this wonderful gift of prayer where anytime, anywhere, we can speak to him and talk to him And that's how you get to know it, by listening to him, by speaking to him, by getting to know him for who he is. And that's what Nicodemus needed. He needed to get to know Jesus for who he was because he didn't know who he was. And so he puts himself in the right spot. At least he shows up. At least he's there. At least he's talking with Jesus. And that's the starting point for all of us. And what did Jesus say to him? Look at verse 3. Very truly I tell you, he says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this just comes out of the blue. Nicodemus hadn't even asked a question about the kingdom of God, but Jesus knew that's exactly what he needed to know. And so he talks about this in verse 3, and he catches him off guard. I mean, was Jesus saying that he, Nicodemus, wouldn't see the kingdom of God? I mean, Nicodemus, he's, he's top of the top of re- religious leaders. He knows everything there is to know about God, he thought. But being a religious person is not enough. It wasn't enough for Nicodemus. It's not enough for you. It's not enough for me. Being religious is not enough. So Jesus says, that's not it, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. Now, we're familiar with that term. We hear that often in our society, born again. But for Nicodemus, this was a new term. He did not get this at all. He's thinking, when Jesus talks about being born, he's thinking about physical birth. So look at verse 4, how he responds. He says, wait, wait wait a minute. He's scratching his head here. How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. And at this point, if Nicodemus' mom was around, she's saying, that's right. (laughs) They're not going through that again. Nicodemus has got this all confused. What did Jesus mean here? Well, we know he was speaking about spiritual birth. The phrase here is actually from from the Greek, from the original language, literally means born from above. We say born again, but literally it's born from above. And so, in other words, God is saying, Jesus is saying, to enter God's heavenly kingdom, you have to be remade. You have to be transformed in a way that enables you to live in God's spiritual kingdom. As we are, we're not fit for that kingdom. 
So to enter that spiritual kingdom requires a spiritual rebirth. Now, there's a great example of this in God's creation, in the natural world. Think about this, a tadpole. A tadpole, when it hatches, is made for, born for, the underwater world. It has gills. It stays underwater. It lives underwater. That's its world. That's its kingdom. But then a metamorphosis takes place as that tadpole grows. It transforms into a frog, and then it's able to live in the world of air. It's reborn for a whole new kingdom. The gills go away. There are lungs that develop, and this is just extraordinary. And now that frog is able to live in this new kingdom of air. And this is what Jesus is saying, essentially, this this creation illustration shows us that earth-living humans, we was born on earth, we need a metamorphosis to be able to enter God's spiritual kingdom, to breathe God's spiritual air. We've all been born on earth, we need to be reborn from above. And that's the only way to enter that heavenly spiritual kingdom. And so that's our second principle for today. That's what we learned from Nicodemus about this upside-down kingdom. To enter Christ's kingdom, you must understand this concept of new birth. You need to be born again. So Nicodemus gets this explanation, but he still doesn't get it. So Jesus clarifies this a little bit more. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Now, If you read commentaries, you see a lot of different proposals and ideas about what this phrase means, but I think we should take it at face value, what's the most obvious meaning, and that is that being born of water is another way to refer to natural human birth. We talk about the water breaking as the the prelude to birth. It's human birth. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And being born of the Spirit is the reference to that other birth, that rebirth, spiritual birth. And so Jesus is saying, you got to first be born physically, you got to enter into the human world, and then you've got to be born again spiritually to be ready for God's kingdom, His world. Notice what He says in the next verse, verse 6. He says it just another way. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So, he says to Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Here's what he's saying. We as human beings, human mothers specifically, give birth to human babies. Flesh gives birth to flesh. As some of you know, our daughter, Lindsay, gave birth two months ago. And so people were asking us, what did she have? Now, they didn't mean, did she have a horse? Did she have a llama? No, that was not the question. Everybody knew she had a human being. That's just expected. They were asking, was it a boy or a girl? Actually, she gave birth to Superman. (laughs) There is little Simon, born two months ago. Flesh gives birth to flesh. A human mother gives birth to a human baby. Or if it's a super daughter, it's super man that's born. (laughs) But when the Spirit of God gives new life in Christ, it's a spiritual birth. That's the rebirth. That's the birth again that's needed. And so this morning we saw Joe 
and Joseph and Dylan, know, their testimonies about how they were born again just a few months ago. It was, and in that birth, it was the Spirit who gave birth to them. That was a spiritual birth. And that's what's absolutely necessary for us to enter into eternal life in Christ's heavenly kingdom. But Nicodemus still struggles to understand this. So, because he can't understand, he's not ready yet to believe. So, he says in verse 9, how can this be? He's still scratching his head. Wait, how can this possibly be? I don't get this, Jesus. So, Jesus assures him that he alone can explain this. And here's why. Because Jesus is the one from heaven. Now, watch what he says. Look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. You're having trouble at least believing. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself. And this is so powerful. Jesus is our only direct link to heaven because he came from heaven. He came from the Father. And that's why his explanation of how to get to heaven is the only one that really counts. That's why his explanation of the gospel right here in John 3 to Nicodemus is so vitally important because Jesus knows what it takes to enter his kingdom. He alone can speak with authority about the way to get to heaven. So here's the key for us. Don't trust what others may say. Listen to what Jesus says the one who's been there. I have never been to a Bucky's. Uh, some of you, how many, how many of you have been to Bucky's before? Oh man, a lot of you. Bucky's is this, it's, it's like an overgrown Costco plus Walmart plus racetrack kind of all put together gas station. And there's a, there's a new, well, relatively new, within the last year, Bucky's on I-75, not far from here, Calhoun, Georgia. And last year, Beth and I were headed north up 75, and all, we start seeing all these billboards. So this is September, so it just probably just opened a month before. And all these billboards for Bucky's. I'd never heard of Bucky's. I didn't know what this is. And so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily trust what they say on these billboards anyhow, so we didn't stop. We missed our chance to go to Bucky's that day. <laughs> but I didn't know what I was missing. And if you saw our video we sent out yesterday, a couple months ago, I got into a conversation with Jerry Worshalik, and so we kind of reenacted that for the video yesterday when we were with them. And they started telling me, Jerry and Cindy started telling me about Bucky's. They had been to a, one of the Bucky's in Texas. That's where they first started, and that's where the biggest ones are. So I began to find out all these things that I didn't know about Bucky's from someone who'd been there. I found out the largest, it's the largest convenience store in the world is one of these Bucky's in Texas 66,335 square feet. I mean, the one here in Calhoun is only 53,200 square feet, small in comparison. They've got, one, the one here in Calhoun, 120 gas pumps. I looked this up. Sparkling clean restrooms. Jerry attested to that on the video yesterday. Barbecue, dozens of flavors of beef jerky, homemade fudge, beaver nuggets. I don't even know what those things are. <laughs> and look at this claim. This is off one of the billboards right here. Here's their claim. Ice made from scratch. 
I guess all, all ice is made from scratch, isn't it? Okay. Here's my point. It wasn't the signs that drew me in. It was talking to somebody who'd been there. That's what's got me interested. Now, all this is not to get you to go to Bucky's, although you might, and I might. The point is, when it comes to heavenly things, listen to the one who's been there, the one who came from there, the one who knows what heaven is about. If you think you could find any other way to heaven on your own or from somebody else who's never been there, doesn't know anything about it, forget it. The one who's been there, who is from there, is the one who can tell us how to get there. And he's the one that can tell us what it's all about. And just like hearing that description of Bucky's makes, maybe makes you want to go there, listening to Jesus' description, what he tells us about heaven, increases our desire to go there. Just a few things. In his eternal kingdom, in heaven, there will be no pain, no sorrow, no temptation, no sin, no darkness, nothing evil. That's a place I want to go. That's where I want to live forever. That's what earth was intended to be and will never be until Jesus Christ reforms it into the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what Jesus says because he's been there. He knows a thing or two about heaven. And he made the way for us to get there. Only Jesus could do that. Look what he says in the next verses. Verse 14 Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. So what's, what's with the snake in the wilderness story here? Well, this goes back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites wandering in the desert. If you know anything about the story, you know, they were trying to get to the promised land, but they kept disbelieving and doubting and sinning and and struggling to follow God and to believe God and to obey God. And so here they are in the desert in this wilderness and they've sinned again and they're being bitten by these, these venomous snakes and dying. People are dying all over the camp from these snake bites. I mean, this is just an awful picture, right? And the people begin to cry out to God for help. Help, save us from these snakes. And God tells Moses... Put a, make a bronze servant, put it on a pole, and raise it up in the middle of the camp so that people from all over the camp can look up to that snake, and if they will look to that snake that I've provided for them, they will be saved. They will not die. And that's exactly what happens. And the nation is saved. And Jesus pulls that story out of the Old Testament, and he says, I'm going to be lifted up. Of course, the reference is to the cross that Jesus would be put up on a pole, on a cross, nailed to that cross, and only by looking to Him and believing in what He was doing on that cross, dying for our sin, would there be salvation and life. As strange as it sounds, this was a picture of Jesus. You know, for a cross, the Romans considered that a shameful death. It was just for the worst criminals. For the Jews, the Old Testament tells us to be put on a cross, nailed to a tree, was a curse. 
But in God's design, God's plan, His Son would be lifted up for all to see the full extent of His love, that He would give His Son to die that terrible death for us because of our sin. And that anyone who would look to Jesus and put their faith in Him would be saved. Praise God. And that leads to our last principle today. To enter Christ's kingdom, you must believe in Him. Belief, faith, that's ultimately what our response must be. And that brings us to the most well-known, most well-loved verse in the whole Bible. If people don't know anything else in the Bible, they probably know this one verse, John 3, 16. Would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This verse is so familiar, so I want to pause for a minute. I want to make sure we don't miss the meaning of this verse. It's packed with the gospel. It speaks of God's love, and that's often what we emphasize. God so loved the world. But the verb is actually comes next. What did he do? Because of his love for the world, he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son. He gave what was most precious to him, his son, Jesus. That's his initiative in salvation. He did that for us despite our sin. And yet we have to respond to that initiative. So the verse goes on to say, whoever believes in him. So to receive that gift of God's son, we must believe in why he came, believe in who he is. And the result of that, if we believe, is life, eternal life. This earthly life that we've all been born into ends in death for everyone. But the heavenly life that Jesus gives leads to eternity, to life forever. So the whole gospel is right here in this one verse. You know, Jason mentioned we're going to have a memorial service at 1.30 today for Debbie Grimes, part of our church family, and passed away last week. She died like every human being will die if Jesus, until Jesus comes back. But today we're going to be celebrating not just her life past, we're going to be celebrating her life now because of her faith in Jesus. She lives on. And we know that, we have hope in that because of her faith in Jesus. Verse 16 flows right into 17 and 18. Jesus doesn't stop. Watch, you need to see the contrast here. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's God's intent. That's his heart. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, the gospel message isn't just about faith and life. It is about faith and life, but not only. There's the other side of that. It's about unbelief and death, too. It's never been God's desire for anybody to be separated from Him eternally. But the reality is that we are, because we're born into sin, because of the sin nature we have, not just the sin that we do, we are condemned already, Jesus says, condemned already because of our sinful natures. And so only God can save us out of that condition, which is what He did. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And it's by believing in Him that we are saved 
Here's the point that Jesus, I think, is making. Salvation has no meaning if you don't believe that there is something to be saved from. If you don't believe there is death, if you don't believe there is a hell, if you don't believe that there is an eternity without God, then you have no reason to be saved. But there is. So if you believe that, then you can receive what He has for us. To be saved, you put your faith in Jesus. But to perish, to die, you don't have to do anything. By doing nothing, that's the route you take to death. Because to not believe is to not receive. To not believe is to not receive, and that ends in death. A number, uh, I just want to show you this another way. A number of years ago, I saw a video about a whitewater rafting adventure trip. And maybe I've shared this before. If I have, just bear with me that this story really fits so well with this passage and this point. I watched this video and it shows the cameraman's on the side showing these rafts going through these rapids. And they're passing through, passing through. One of these rafts, as they sometimes do, hit a rock, whatever, it turned upside down. The people in the raft spilled out, washed downstream, and they were able to get out of the water and people downstream helping them out of the water. The raft stayed in a whirlpool, and one girl from that raft had somehow grabbed on a rope on the outside of that raft and was holding on for dear life. She thought that was her salvation. And so she's with this raft going round and round in this whirlpool, not washing out like everybody else did. She's going under the water and back up out of the water, under the water, out of the water. And you just knew it was just a matter of time until she wouldn't, couldn't, just couldn't do this anymore and would drown right there. And so people were yelling at her from the side, let go, let go of that rope. That she believed that's what would save her. It was only when she finally heeded those calls, let go of that rope, washed out of the river, and there were people there to rescue her out of the water. In our lives, there are always things that we tend to hold on to that we think are going to save us our own good deeds or our own work. If I just work hard enough, I can get myself out of this situation. I can improve my life. I can better my relationships, whatever. I can do this on my own. And you're in a whirlpool. The only way out of that whirlpool is to let go of whatever you believe is going to get you to heaven, save you, and to let Jesus Christ save you. He is the only one that can save your life. But you've got to let go of anything else that you're trusting in, anything else you're believing in, anything else you're holding on to. Jesus is there calling to us from the shore, <laughs> telling us to let go. Put your faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And that's how Jesus tells it. To believe is to receive. To not believe is to not receive His gift of life. John 3, and this story, this passage, doesn't tell us how Nicodemus responded. I, I really would like, like to know, what did Nicodemus do? What did he say? The Bible doesn't tell us. We do see in John 7, he comes back into the story. He's back in the Sanhedrin, and he actually speaks up for Jesus in one of their conversations. Not real solid, but somewhat. Maybe he was starting to believe. He shows up again at the end. After Jesus' crucifixion, he comes alongside Joseph of Arimathea, and he helps prepare Jesus' body for burial. 
Was it then maybe he had put his faith fully in Jesus Christ? Sadly, we don't see him again in the gospel narratives after that. We don't see him in the book of Acts. So we don't know for sure what happened. But what you can know for sure this morning is what your response is to Jesus. You know your heart. You know what you're holding on to. You know what you're trusting in. What are you doing with Jesus in his upside-down kingdom? This is a kingdom for newborns. Have you been born again into spiritual life through faith in Christ? Let me just end by saying this. If you have been born from above, if you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know you've put your faith in him, then live every day as a citizen of his kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. It's a whole different set of values, as we've been talking about this summer, than in this earthly world is. So if you're a citizen of his kingdom, don't live according to this earthly world's value system. Live according to his. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven, of his kingdom. But if you're here this morning and you're still not sure, you're still on the fence, you're still deciding whether, you're gonna, whether you want to be born again into this new life, trying to figure out, do I really believe in what Jesus has done for me? Then let me just say, today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it can be your birthday. This can be the day you were born again. Please understand, there's no, there's no neutral ground here. You are either laying on the ground, dying from the snake bite of sin, or you have looked to the cross and you're being saved. There's the only two choices. To believe is to receive. To not believe is to not receive life. Joseph and Dylan chose life. So thankful for their testimonies. They've chosen life. They're, they're newborns in their faith in Jesus Christ, and that's why we rejoice for them, and that's why we pray for them to grow in that faith. But what about you? Are you ready for a new start? Are you ready for a new life? Are you ready for a new birth? Are you ready to have that certainty in your heart that Jesus Christ has given you life that will last forever? Let's pray. As we bow our heads to pray, I just want to pause a moment, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to give you this opportunity before I pray. If you're here this morning and God has kind of taken some of the words of this passage and He's poking at your heart to respond to Him. And if you're here this morning, you say, for the first time in my life, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to trust Him. I want to confess my sin and believe in Him. I want to be born again today. If, if you're leaning that way, if that's your desire of your heart, and you just want me to pray for you, not anything else, I'm not going to make you move out of your seat. If you just want to lift up your hand for me to pray for you, would you do that right now? Just lift your hand right where you are. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray for these that have responded to you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in their hearts. Help them to know that today it's just a simple prayer of saying, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and I want you to be my Savior from sin. I want to enter into your spiritual kingdom. I want you to remake me fit for your eternal kingdom. Lord, help them pray that prayer to make that statement of faith in their hearts this morning and to be born into your kingdom. And Lord Jesus, for those here that maybe are still considering, still wondering, still not sure if they're ready to believe in you, Lord, I pray that you would just keep drawing them, just keep showing them how much you love them and how much you are, your desire is for them to receive your gift of eternal life so that they can be with you forever. Lord, just keep at them. And for those of us who know you already, who are members of your kingdom, Lord, help us to live the upside-down life for the sake of your upside-down kingdom, that our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our behaviors would be in in line with your kingdom, not our own. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death for us. Thank you for being lifted up on the cross so that by looking to you, we can find life that lasts forever. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.